for the little things right now as it relates to the recovery. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, we'll get started. Father, it is good to be in your house today. Lord, we are thankful for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. God, we are thankful for our salvation. We are thankful, Lord, for your faithfulness. God, I pray that you'd help all of us to be mindful of just how good you are to us. God, we're thankful for the way that you've blessed those who have been dealing with affliction and illness, and we pray for those who continue uh, to deal with their illnesses. God, that you'd give them strength and that you'd give them health. And Lord, I pray now that you'd help me to say what you've laid upon my heart, what I believe this passage is uh, trying to convey, and God, that you'd help us to at least consider it tonight in the way that we ought. I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. This evening, rather than reviewing chapter 11 and what we dealt with last week, I want to just get into tonight's message, and I want to begin by talking about something that is probably true of every household represented here this evening. If I had to guess, if I just had to make an assumption on you, it would go something like this, that somewhere in your house you have cleaning supplies. I at least hope that somewhere in your house you have some cleaning supplies, maybe some different chemicals for different jobs. But what I mean by that is something like this. You've got something to clean windows in your house. You've got something maybe to clean your oven, to clean your carpets, to clean your hardwood floors, whatever it may be. And the list could go on and on. But you've got all these things around your house. You've got them in different cabinets. You've got them in different drawers, wherever it may be. And something else that we know to be true is this, is that whenever you've got small children around the house, you need to be mindful of where those chemicals are at, don't you? You really need to. Maybe you should have taken a little bit more effort when your kids were smaller, I don't know. But uh, if you've got those cleaning supplies around the house, you've got the chemicals around the house, you've, you've got them, if you're something like us, you've got them kind of under the, the, the kitchen sink and, again, different places. But when you've got small children, you need to be very mindful of where those chemicals are at because here is what has happened. We've all heard stories that sound something like this. The child has gotten into the cabinets. The child has gotten into that drawer where certain things were at, and somehow they managed to get the lid off, and they put it in their mouth, and they drank something that they shouldn't have drank, ingested something they were not supposed to ingest. And there's a reason why kids do that. Because they are immature, and they have no discernment. You'd agree with that, would you not? This child doesn't understand that this chemical or this cleaning agent could be harmful to them. They don't understand that that's not something that's supposed to be consumed. And so these children, because of their immaturity and their lack of discernment, they have at times, maybe not yours, but certainly it has happened to others, there are these times that they have consumed them. It's made them sick, maybe even hurt them. And, of course, worst-case scenario, it would cause death. You hope, and I trust that this happens for everyone, but here's what you hope, that at some point your kids outgrow that and they begin to understand the hazards associated with certain cleaning supplies. I'm thankful that at our house I'm not still saying to my kids, hey, listen, don't drink the Windex, that'll hurt you. They're past that, and I'm thankful for that. Now, this evening, as we just kind of keep that principle in mind, that thought in mind, 
I want us to be mindful of something that I know I've mentioned in the past. Just want to remind us of it again tonight, and that is this. Whenever we read something in Scripture, we need to remember that it is there, that it is there for a reason. No Scripture that you and I possess, no Scripture that has been written and preserved has been written and preserved just so that blank pages could be filled and make our Bibles thicker. You understand this, don't you? And so whenever the Scripture is before us, whatever it says, there are two things that we can know. We can know, first of all, that the original audience who received it needed it. And the second thing that we can know is this, is that there is something for us to get from it. It may be a struggle sometimes to know exactly what we're supposed to get from it, but whenever you and I read the Scripture, we always need to keep in mind that it was not written just for the sake of taking up some time and filling up some space. It was written for the benefit of its original audience, and there is benefit for you and I to be had by looking at what the Scripture records and what the Scripture says. So that being, in, uh, that being said, look in verse number 2. Look in verse number 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he says, Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols. I want to focus on the two words right now for just a moment that Paul used, dumb idols. Okay, I think most of us know what an idol is, right? It is something that someone would have worshipped. It is something that someone would have bowed down to. It is something that someone would have served. That is what an idol was. And Paul here refers to the idols that would have been present in Corinth. He referred to them as dumb idols. And that's not a reference to the idea that they were ignorant or some kind of a, a slight to their intelligence, though they would have had no intelligence. What he is saying is this is that the idols that were present in the city of Corinth and maybe in the surrounding area, they were dumb or they were unable or they were unable and capable of communicating to the ones who would have worshipped them. So there was nothing profitable, there was nothing beneficial about the idols that people in the city of Corinth would have served and worshipped and bowed down to because the idol could do nothing for them because that idol was nothing more than the workmanship of the hand of someone who had made it. Okay, so this idol, it was just a dumb idol, and Paul said this, he said, of these idols, that they were carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led, when they were Gentiles. Now, what does it mean whenever he says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols? It means this. It's the idea of their days prior to salvation. So in their lost condition, in their unsaved, unregenerate condition, here is what happened they were carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. So what does it mean then to be carried away? Well, it means this. It's the idea of one who is a captive 
or one who is a prisoner led about by one who is over them by way of authority. Okay, so it's a prisoner, it's a captive, it is someone who has no authority whatsoever. And I found this interesting, okay, and and maybe this won't interest you, I don't know. But I found this interesting. Paul said in their lost condition that they were carried to these dumb idols, meaning this, that in their lost state, in a sense, they were somewhat bound to serve something. They were carried away to these dumb idols even as they were led. Now, I find that interesting for this reason. If you think about it, every person serves something. Every person serves something. So a person can either serve the Lord, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment, but a person can either serve the Lord or they will serve something else. Now, as the church of Corinth is being addressed, we don't know how many members made up the church. We certainly don't know what all the backgrounds were of every person present. We don't know what all gods they served. But it seems to indicate this, that there were multiple idols, because he said dumb idols, not versus dumb idol. And so there would have been multiple idols that people used to serve, but as a result of their salvation, they were now supposed to be serving the one true God. And again to deal with this more in a couple of moments, but to focus on it right now as well. Whenever a person is lost, they will serve something. It may not be a statue that's been made and that they bow before and that they worship and that they serve. It may not be something that they created with their own hands, but you and I know this. People serve things like money. It is their idol. It is their God. It is what they worship and serve and submit themselves to. Some people serve and worship and bow down to education. Some people are of that way whenever it comes to success and climbing the corporate ladder, whatever it may be. Keep this in mind, please. Everybody serves something. It's just that simple. Now, in light of their past and where they have come from, in light of their past and what they have been delivered from, notice In verse number 1, what Paul is going to be talking about throughout this chapter. Now concerning or dealing with spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. What does it mean to be ignorant? Well, it means to be uninformed or to be unaware of something. Again, he's not insulting anyone's intelligence. He's not assuming or suggesting that people are dumb. But what he is saying is this. Now, when it comes to spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware of this. I want you to know the truths behind spiritual gifts. So what is a spiritual gift? This is pretty deep. So follow this and write it down if you need to. It is a gift given by God of a spiritual nature, thus a spiritual gift. Only God can give those gifts, all right? So we're going to be talking about, for the next few weeks, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
about these things called spiritual gifts, these gifts that God gives to people, Paul said, that are of a spiritual nature. And here's what needs to be remembered, and here's what needs to be thought about, and that would be that when God gives a spiritual gift to a believer, it is intended to be used for the glory of God. Okay, so when God gives a spiritual gift, that gift is supposed to be used to bring glory to God. Now, we'll talk more about this again in future messages, but I just want to stop right here and say this. Everyone has a spiritual gift if you are saved. Every saved person has a gift given to them by God of a spiritual nature and is to be used to bring glory to God with the exercise of that gift. The gift may coincide with what a person is naturally and normally. You understand this? That gift that God gives, it may just be something that upon their salvation, it just fits that person like a glove. But it may be that when the person is saved and God gives them a spiritual gift, it's something that would be completely contrary to what they would otherwise be, naturally speaking. This is important. (laughs) See, because some people say, well, I don't have a gift. Well, then you're suggesting you're not saved. Oh, no, no, I'm saved. I just don't have a gift. No, if you're saved, you have a gift. We'll see this in future messages that upon our salvation, the Holy Spirit gives us a gift as directed by God. Sometimes people don't use their gifts because they're not comfortable with the gift they've been given. Because it doesn't really fit with their personality. Well, that's called wasting a gift. And then some people don't do anything with their gift, whether they like it or not, and then thankfully some people do do things with the gifts God has given them. So the spiritual gifts are what Paul is going to be talking about. These things that have been given to believers, he does not want them to be ignorant as it relates to spiritual gifts. Now, all that said, let's change gears for just a moment. The Scripture teaches us, does it not, that God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. So answer this question. Does confusion sometimes exist? Well, obviously it does. So if God is not the author of confusion, where must that confusion come from? Who must be the author of it? Well, that would have to be Satan, would it not? I mean, if God's not going to do it, and there are only two forces in this world that have control over the affairs of man, either God being yielded to or Satan being yielded to, if God is not the author of confusion, then it must be Satan who is the author of confusion and the one that causes the problems and the issues. Now, why do I mention that? Well, the Corinthian believers, not really the most mature 
of believers, were they? They were not the most mature of believers whatsoever. So what's happened? Well, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led. Verse number 3, wherefore I give you to understand. What does it mean, give you to understand? It means this. I'm sharing this with you so that you understand what's going on, so that you know what's happening. I don't want you to be ignorant in relation to this. You know, you've not really matured in the way that you should. So he says, I give you to understand, I want you to know this, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God, no man speaking through the Spirit of God, under the authority of the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed. Does that seem kind of like a statement out of left field? It does to me. Because I'm thinking, wouldn't they know that? But apparently there were some in the church who were struggling with this. Why else would Paul say it? He didn't say it just to fill up space on the page, right? Come on. There was a reason for this. And so he says, wherefore I give you to understand. Okay, I'm telling you this so that you understand something. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. You used to serve these dumb idols. You don't serve the dumb idols anymore. You're now a child of God. We're going to talk to you about spiritual gifts. And I want you to understand something that no man speaking by or through or under the authority of the Spirit of God would ever call Jesus accursed. What does it mean to be accursed? It means to be damned or condemned. See, in their day, there was this religion floating around that, that said something like this, that everything that was flesh and everything that was made of matter, it was evil and it was wicked and it was sinful. And so there were some who actually went so far as to say this, that because Jesus took on the form of flesh, that Jesus in his body was one who had been cursed or damned like anything else, so that the flesh of Jesus would have been as, as evil as anyone else's. Now, you and I, we may sit here tonight and say that's ridiculous. I would hope we would say that. But see, there were people in the church who obviously were struggling with such a thought. Because if they were not struggling with such a thought, Paul would not have to say to them, now I'm writing to you for you to understand this. And he said at the same time, and that no man can say, truly say, that Jesus is the Lord or the Master, but by or through the Holy Ghost. So I want you to understand something, Paul says. No true messenger would ever suggest that Jesus is accursed and only a true child of God can honestly suggest that Jesus is Lord. Now, if God is not the author of confusion, obviously causing some people to be confused, 
Where did this confusion then come from? It came from the influences of Satan. Where would that influence have come from? Most likely, other individuals who were not saved, teaching a false gospel, teaching a false message, but who were somewhat, for lack of better words, dynamic in what appeared to be a spiritual gift, so much so that it would have been convincing to immature believers that they would actually ingest this idea that maybe, just maybe, Jesus in his flesh was accursed or condemned or damned, like they say all matter is. And so as a result of their immaturity, there were some in the church obviously struggling with, say, doctrinal purity because there were those who were exercising what appeared to be spiritual gifts and the Corinthians were so ignorant, unaware, that they took it in and thought nothing of it and how harmful it could be to them. See, their lack of maturity and their lack of understanding was causing them some serious spiritual issues. Now this evening you may sit here and say, okay, I, I, I hear you, but I'm not really too excited about this, or I really don't even know what you're trying to communicate. Well, this evening I want us to think about something. I know that most of us will not think that the message is needed in our lives, but I promise you it is, okay? Okay. This evening, keep in mind that every person is saved out of some form of idolatry. We're all saved out of some form of idolatry. No matter what it is, it's idolatry in some form that we're saved out of. And as a result of our salvation, the growing process is supposed to begin and take place. Is it not? It is. Okay. I'll help us out on that one. We're supposed to start growing and maturing and developing in our spiritual lives as a result of our salvation. We're babes in Christ at that time, right? We don't have a lot of maturity. We don't have a lot of understanding. We don't have a lot of discernment. So that's where we were at when we first got saved. Now, Satan has never been content with someone being saved. Satan has never been content with someone coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what does Satan want to still create and then bring about in a person's life? He wants to bring about confusion. And all sorts of messed up thinking and wrong doctrine. 
See, people get saved out of idolatry. Like they get saved out of their love for money or their love for success or, or, or whatever it may have been, some false doctrine. And so as a result of their salvation, they need to start growing. They need to start maturing. They need to start developing. They, they need to start being made aware of their spiritual gifts and how they're supposed to use them in the ministry of Christ, in the ministry of the Lord, bringing glory to God through the gift that has been given. But see, here's what Satan wants to do. He wants to step in and he wants to start confusing people with things that are not truthful, things that are not honest. And here is how he does it. He does it so many times, of course, not every time, but he does it so many times by bringing wrong influences into the lives of people who are not mature enough to know that what they are ingesting now is actually harmful and hurtful to them. I hope this is making sense. If it's not, I apologize. I'll give you a refund after church, okay? But see, it's something like this. Someone is saved, but they're not really developing and maturing in their walk like they should. And they've got on Christian radio. And they assume that because it's Christian radio, it must be true. And because they lack the discernment and because they lack the maturity to realize this is not truth, you know what is happening in the hearts and minds of a lot of people who are probably truly saved, they just never got grounded? You know what's happening in the hearts and minds of a lot of people? They are now believing things that they have no business believing because someone came along with what appeared to be a pretty persuasive spiritual gift and they had a pretty clear presentation of whatever it is that they were trying to sell. And as a result, there are a lot of identified or people who identify themselves as believers and they honestly believe things that are not scriptural, are not biblical whatsoever. I think there are a lot of people here in town who are saved. I truly mean this. I think they are saved, but they are so far off on their doctrine because they never got grounded, they never got established. And some smooth-talking teacher or preacher or whomever it may be got a hold of them and started telling them things that are not scriptural. And they're believing things they have no business believing. See, the very same thing that the Corinthian believers were dealing with, we're seeing happen today. It's just happening in a different form, in a different manner. It would be something like this. That gifted writer who is a Christian bestseller, who has their books in places like Mardell and Lifeway, 
Brother Kyle, I, I picked this book up. Or the person may say to whatever their preacher or teacher is, you know, hey, I picked this book up at Mardell the other day. I picked this book up at Lifeway, Christian Bookstore X. And, and you know, I've been reading through this, and, and the person says a whole lot of good stuff. Now, I'm not saying they're not saying some good things. But let me just tell you, a lot of what is being written and produced these days are not worth the pages that they're written on. Because so much of it has turned into self-help, it has turned into self-promotion, it has turned into how we're going to be blessed and how we're going to enjoy a better life. And so little of it is actually based on biblical doctrine and biblical truth. But because the person is not grounded and because the person is not established, they start entertaining things by people who know how to write and present good convincing arguments and they start believing things that, again, they have no business believing. But brother, brother Kyle, they've sold thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of books, which means this, they have contaminated millions of minds. Amen. They're on the radio and they sound so slick. They're, they're, they're writing their books and the covers are so nice and they're so well written and easy to read and And these ladies know how to pack out a conference center? I mean, let's just be honest. A lot of this women of faith stuff, it'd really just do everyone better if they'd just abolish it and get rid of it because there's a lot of nonsense being thrown in there with the truth. I mean, I don't know if you read the report, but like, I don't know if it was Women of Faith or something else, but Carrie Underwood showed up and did a surprise performance for the people. And everyone got excited that Carrie Underwood showed up and did this special performance at this ladies' Christian thing. Now, again, it may not have been Women of Faith, but something of that nature, so, so don't get mad at me if I'm stepping on your, your favorite group. But, but, but what I'm saying is this. If that's what you are, listen, if that's what you want to identify with, by way of a representation of Christianity, there's something wrong with that. And if you're a big Carrie Underwood fan, I apologize, but she's really not the model of biblical Christianity. Okay, anyways. <laughs> I'm trying to show us something. People get sucked into it. Because there's a lack of grounding, there's a lack of establishment, and so it, it, it comes out good, it looks persuasive, these people seem to be gifted, so surely they would not be leading me astray. Listen, they may not be doing it intentionally, but Satan is the author of confusion, and he wants to come in and he wants to stir everything up and mess everything up by presenting just enough truth, possibly, to get people to believe a lie, and when people began ingesting the truth because they they don't have the maturity and the discernment, or I'm sorry, whenever they begin ingesting the lie because they don't have the maturity and discernment to recognize what is harmful, friends, it can destroy people. It can. And none of us are exempt from that possibility. See, if I'm not careful... Somebody could enter into my life. 
good personality, a charming presence about themselves, they've got a good delivery, whatever it may be, they could come into my life and I could start entertaining things that I don't need to entertain. They could come into your life. Somebody could get you to come be a part of this and, hey, let's do this and, hey, why don't we go over here and partake of this and, and if you're not careful, you could get sucked right into the very thing that if you begin to take this in, it could completely destroy your spiritual future. Someone says, oh, no, that couldn't happen. Where do you think the Corinthians were headed? Their spiritual future was nothing. It can happen to me and it can happen to you. So what is the fix? What is the key to this? What is it that, that keeps us from allowing the, the author of confusion to get us all messed up to where we don't understand things the way that we need to and we're ignorant and we're not as mature as we ought to be? What is the key and what is the solution to this not happening to us? It's this, to know truth. In order to identify a lie, you have to know the truth. And the Corinthian believers didn't know the truth. Or they were not acting upon what they knew. Does this make sense? So in order for me to avoid a lie, in order for you to avoid a lie... We have to know the truth. What do we have to know the truth of? We have to know the truth of God's Word. Anytime we hear something, no matter how slick the presentation may be, it is not our responsibility to consider how smooth and how eloquent and how well presented it was and then determine whether or not we like what was said. Regardless of who the messenger is, we need to take what they say, compare it to the Scripture, and if it doesn't line up with Scripture, recognize they are teaching me things that I do not need to give attention to. The only way to avoid the confusion of the lies is to know truth. And the only way that we know the truth is to be a student of the truth. See, I think, again, I think most people sit in church, and, and ours would probably be about normal. I think a lot of people sit in church... And they think they know truth, but yet they're not a student of the source of absolute truth. If I don't want to be tripped up, I need to be a student of the Word of God. If you don't want to be tripped up, you need to be a student of the Word of God. Our study helps good? Yes. Our, our Bible studies good? Yes. I'm all for it. If I wasn't, then we wouldn't have them around here. It's a good thing. But no matter what, we need to maintain our relationship with the Word of God. And if we are not men and women of the book, then I'm telling you, we run the risk 
of getting sidetracked and consuming things that we do not need to be consuming. It may not be your greatest concern right now. I'm just telling you something that I know to be true from testimonies of many, many, many different preachers. Preachers all across America, and I would assume, just an assumption, but I would assume all across our world, preachers have watched men and women get mixed up in false doctrine and false teaching. Because someone with the well-polished presentation in one form or another got into their lives in some fashion and because this person was not as grounded and as established in the Word of God as they should have been and probably as established as they thought they were, they started listening to lies they, they had no business listening to. Preachers everywhere have witnessed it. Preachers everywhere have fought against it. They have challenged the people, and it continues to happen over and over again. And I'll just say this, and then we're done. It's not just the people in the pews who do it. It's the preachers who fall prey to it as well. I want us to understand every one of us must remain a student of the Word or we could end up looking just like the believers of Corinth. Ignorant, unaware, undiscerning, being given something that we ought to be rejecting, taking it in with no awareness of how it could hurt us or even destroy us. I just want to challenge us tonight to ask and, and answer this question. Am I really a student of this book? Am I really a student of the book? Not with my preconceived ideas, not me coming to it with what I've been taught or what I want the book to say. Am I coming to the Word of God? Am I, am I letting the Word of God determine who I am rather than me trying to determine what the Word of God is? Am I a student of this book? Am I continuing the process of learning and growing and becoming more and more grounded and established? Or am I still weak? Am I still immature? Am I still lacking discernment in spiritual, spiritual truths? I hope we'll ask the question. I hope we'll be, answer, we'll be honest in how we answer. Because it could mean the difference between spiritual growth and spiritual destruction and spiritual waste. Are we students of the Word? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to just take a moment tonight, Lord, and to be willing to ask the question and to be honest with the answer.
What kind of a student are we? What kind of a pupil are we as it relates to the Word of God? God, are we learning? Are we growing? Are we maturing? Or is there a door that is open right now where Satan could get in and cause all sorts of confusion because someone comes along that appears to have some gift that we need to listen to and take note of? God, would you help us tonight to just be honest? And Lord, if there's anyone in here this evening who may have to admit they've already swallowed some of the the false teachings that they ought not be giving attention to, I pray that tonight we would be willing to address it and be willing to correct it however we need to. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.